Hey, that's better than I get at home. That's amazing. How we doing, Pulpit Rock 9 a.m.? We good? We ready to roll? Hey, I love having a balcony. I wish we had a balcony. We don't have a balcony. Welcome to all of our friends up there. Good to see you. Online people, good to see you. I'm excited to be here with you today. This is kind of a dream come true for me. You, don't know, you probably don't know this, but I've been a fan of you for a long, long time now. And the more that I get to know Roland, and I get to know Jonathan, and I get to know Cindy, and Kyle, and, and Brad, and the whole team here, Susie, all of the team here, the more I love this place. I was telling our tribe last week that this church, Pulper Rock Church, may be the greatest kingdom-minded sending church in the city of Colorado Springs. So give it, up, give it up for yourselves for that. Way to go, Pulpit Rock. That's a good, good thing. Yeah. I was telling them about Pando. We actually are partners in Pando with you guys now, and I'm really excited about that. I was telling them about your wood shop, which is really, really cool, and all the amazing things that God is doing here. I am really excited that Pastor Jonathan is actually going to be at our place in two weeks and get to talk to our people about all the amazing things that God is doing right here. You know, in over 20 years of ministry now, I don't think I've ever been more excited about a sermon series than I am the one that we are in today. And I want to tell you a little the backstory and why that is. So 2016, I'm sitting in a conference room up at New Life Church. There's about 10 or 12 local pastors in town, and we are dreaming about and talking about how we can help with homelessness in our city. Our mayor had told us homelessness is our number one problem, and so there's 10 or 12 churches together. We're scheming and dreaming. Can the Capital C Church of Colorado Springs raise a million dollars towards this huge expansion project that Springs Rescue Mission was doing? They were going from 60 beds to 450. They were creating shower facilities and laundry facilities for all of our homeless friends in the city, and we wanted to be a part of that. So we're dreaming and scheming. Can we do something, Capital C Church of Colorado Springs. And guess what? Two weeks ago, our mayor said that unsheltered homelessness in Colorado Springs is down 50% in the last five years. And you were a part of that. Yes, we were a part of that. It was amazing. So back up six years, we're on the front end of that. We're dreaming and scheming. There's this buzz, this excitement in the room. And in the middle of the buzz and excitement, I said this. I said, you know what? This is really, really cool, and I'm so excited to be a part of this, but if we really want to show new unity and to demonstrate togetherness in our city, here's what we should do. We should do a sermon series together. We should each write a sermon and then preach it in a different church every week for however many weeks, however many churches are involved. That's what we should do. If we really want to move the needle in our city, we need to share not only a mission, we need to be willing to share our stages too. And all of a sudden, guess what? The buzz was gone. You can call me Pastor Buzzkill because I killed the buzz in the room. The excitement was gone, and it went silent for what seemed like to me 10 minutes. It was really more like probably five seconds. And Pastor Thomas Thompson, you know that guy? Pastor Thomas Thompson spoke up, and he said, Greg, if you preach at my church, would you promise not to cuss? And the whole room did what you They busted out laughing. I mean, sometimes I just get a bad rap. I've never cussed in a church, on a stage, during a sermon. Okay, that's true, all right? I've never done that. And so there's all this laughter in the room, but here's the truth. The awkwardness of that moment, it never, it never left the room. And the thought of this series, this dream, has never left my mind for the last six and a half years. See, what we started together last week, what we're continuing to carry on today, is both exciting, and I wanna tell you something, this is revolutionary. I don't know that's ever been done in our city before. This is kingdom mischief at a whole new level in our city. And I'm so excited about leaders like Pastor Jonathan 
who are willing to take a risk and say yes to something like this, and I am so thankful to get to be here with you today. All right, enough about that. Enough talk about that. Let's jump in and let's do this thing. So we're going to be in Matthew 25 today. If you're one of those people who have brought your Bible, great, you can turn there. If not, everything I read, I think it's going to be here for you on the screens. We're going to read from Matthew chapter 25, beginning with verse 14. This is Jesus talking. I'm going to stop after two words. He says, again, it. What's it? It is the kingdom. He's just told another story about the kingdom. This is the second one. So again, the kingdom will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey. And the man who received five bags of gold went at once, put his money to work, and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Okay, let's stop right there. So first things first. You ready? We're not going to talk about money today. Aren't you glad? Right here, here's why we're not talking about money today. Because I want you to like me when you leave here today. And people don't like it when we talk about their money, especially in church. But we have a problem. What's the problem? We got to deal with this bags of gold thing that we just read about. So in the Greek, and you don't want to hear me try to say it because it's Kentucky Greek, and that's just weird. I'm just saying that. So in the Greek, the word here, you know, for talent. So in this version of the Bible, we get bags of gold. Another version, we get talent. The Greek word for talent is a measure of money. It's like 20 years wages or something like that. So today, I want to work from the English definition of talent. I want us to look at what the master is giving these servants here, not as money, but as their natural ability or their natural strengths or who they are, who they've been created to be, and their opportunity to use their ability. Listen, we can argue about it later if you want to, but I promise you, I mean, Johnson's the great theologian. Argue with him. That's better than arguing with me. So, so, but here's the thing, right? The application is the same. So one person gets one, next person gets two, the next person gets five. We got it? Okay, this is the story. So here's the question to get us started today. Where do you see yourself in the story? That's my question for you today. Where do you see yourself in the story? So as you think about your life and story as you sit here today, right, which person best represents you? How do you see you? Are you the five talent, the two talent, or the one person, one talent person in the story? And as you're chewing on that and thinking about that, I actually have another question. Do you think, as you read this, do you think that the master got these people together in a group that he, or, or that he handed these talents out individually? Do you think he like pulled them aside and said, here's yours, and then pulled them aside, here's yours, here's yours? Or did he group them together to give out the talents? Now, we don't know. We're not really told. But what do you think? Have you ever really thought about that? Because see, here's the thing. I don't know about you, but I'm going to tell you what I think. If I'm the master in the story, there is no way in heaven... See, see, I don't do it, right? So no way in heaven that I'm grouping these people together to give out these talents. I mean, come on, in the world we live in today, are you kidding me? That would be what? That would be a disaster. In this, nobody comes in second, everybody comes in first, right? Everyone gets a trophy world. You know what that would do? It would immediately unleash spirits of comparison, competition, envy, jealousy, and diminishment, wouldn't it? Spirits that are alive and well in this world that we're living in today. Let me tell you something. Spirits that are alive and well in this thing that we do call church today. Spirits that are keeping this capital C church thing from being the expression of the kingdom, from being this giant family made up of smaller families, from being this kingdom force that it could be, that it should be, and that Jesus always intended for it to be. You know, when I think back to that moment up at New Life in the conference room back in 2016, it's really no small miracle that I was even there. Let me tell you, if you don't know my story, here it is. So I was actually a trial attorney 
back in Kentucky, Indiana for 10 years before I became a pastor. And the states and the family and I, we moved to North Carolina to plant a new church. We planned the church. It grew to like 700 people in the first year. It was amazing. And I had an affair about a year and a half in, resigned. I blew up my life. I blew up my family. I blew up my ministry. I blew up my marriage. And it was touch and go for probably, I don't know, six, nine months. Stacy, my wife, I went to counseling immediately. I was with a great counselor. Stacy, my wife, decided to give us a chance. And Stacy and Jesus are the heroes in the story. Last month, we celebrated 38 years of marriage. God is so good, okay? God is good. He's really good. Let me show you my tribe here. I brought pictures so you can see them. There's a lot of us. There's 16, now 17 on the way. When it comes to having babies, my girls are like rabbits. So I have four daughters. I have four amazing, beautiful daughters. I have six, almost seven. It was seven grandkids. One's on the way. Just beautiful grandkids. And I have very, three very average son-in-laws. And, and uh, yeah, and a boyfriend. And, and they're all, actually, they are great men. And, and our, the boyfriend, he's a great man. So this is my grandkids on the, and like I said, there's another one, uh, there's another one on the way. We don't, we don't know what he or she is yet, but uh, I'm a blessed man. Here's the thing. After three years of weekly counseling, intense counseling, this little church in, in Colorado Springs that was really in decline and failing called Discovery Church decided to take a chance on me. And, and I call it the time that two orphans found each other because here's the deal. Nobody really wanted to lead this church and nobody really wanted me. And so we moved out here in 2008. And shortly after we got out here, I was invited to come out to Glen Erie and speak to a room full of pastors, 40 pastors, and tell my story. And as soon as I started down the road and talked about, talking about what I had done, it felt like the movie Frozen to me. The room felt like it froze over. I left that experience feeling unwanted and unneeded in our city. I was hurt, and I'll just be honest with you, I was really angry. And I walked away from that room. I didn't literally do it, but in my mind, I flipped them all off, and I said, you know what? I don't need you. I don't want you in my life. I don't want to be your friend. I'm just going to put my head down and do what God has called us here to do. It doesn't make it right. It's not the right response. That's what I did for five years. Fast forward the story five years. Pastor Thomas Thompson, popular name in the story, right? He calls me one day. He says, can we meet? I met with Thomas. You know why? Because he was kind to me out there five years before. He said, Greg, we want you to host this gathering of pastors now. And I was like, no way, I'm not doing that. He said, we really believe you should. And so we did. We hosted in April of 2014. And as the hosting pastor, I got the opportunity to stand up in our West Auditorium and say to, to these pastors, you know, I was supposed to talk about my greatest point of pain. Do you see where this is going? And I said, hey, I've been asked to talk about my greatest point of pain. My greatest point of pain probably in the last five years has been you. And the room went silent. It was awkward. It was obvious. People were squirming. They were uncomfortable. And a part of me loved it. Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned, right? So a part of me was loving it, but I let him squirm for a minute. And then I said to him, I said, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's not your fault. I was not healed enough. I had so much pastor hurt and so much church hurt from my experience that I was not healed enough to stand in a room full of pastors and tell my story. So would you please forgive me? I asked them for forgiveness and then I asked them this. What would it look like for us to begin to tear down the walls we've built between our churches and carry out the vision that, that Jesus has for the church of Colorado Springs? And that moment was one of the catalyst moments that ultimately led to, because I love you, this multi-church movement of, of churches. Now there's like 100 churches in Colorado Springs showing the love of Jesus with no strings attached that we get to be a part of today. Now you're like, that's great. Well, what's the point, right? 
What's the point? I get it. Here's the point. To this day, I still have to fight that. You're like, fight what? I have to fight being the one talent guy in this story. I have to fight being the one talent pastor time and time again in the story. And and I have a theory about that. It may not be true, but you know, honestly, I see it everywhere I look in the world and I see it everywhere I look in the church too. But here's what we're up against. It's a mindset that goes like this. My story defines me and your glory diminishes me. My story defines me and your glory diminishes me. This is what the enemy in our stories is up to, right? My story defines and limits me and how God can use me and your glory, as smart as you are, as much as you know about the Bible, as talented as you are, as successful as you are in business, as good looking as you are, I mean, you're ripped, you're cut, as, as smart as your kids are, your glory and the spirit of what? Comparison diminishes me and discourages me. Where does this spirit keep us? It keeps us stuck as the one talent person in this story. And my guess is this. This is not just true of me. If you really look hard into your life and story, you're going to see it in your story too. So we got to talk about that. We got to attack that somehow, some way, you and I, we got to change that. So let's talk a little bit about how we change that. Let's, let's, Let's go back to the story and keep reading. Verse 19 now. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. All right, let's stop there. So the guy who has five doubles it, gets to 10. The guy who has two, we don't don't have time to read his story today. He does the exact same thing, doubles doubles the money too. And, And here's the thing. Here's the thing, they both get the exact same response. What do they get as a result of what they've done? They get an invitation into a much more beautiful, more amazing, larger story, and the happiness and joy that comes with that. Could you, could you use a little more joy in your life today? Are we missing something here? What, what, what can we take away? I, I kind of want what they get. So what can you and I, what can we take away from their stories here today. How, how, how about this? It's not how much we have. It's about what we do with what we have. It's, it's not how much we have. It's about what we do with how much, with what we have. And you may, not, you may be sitting here today, you may not have much money. I get it. Or much education. Or much Bible knowledge. You may look at your prayer life and say, you know, it could be so much better than it is. You may not have much theological training or a seminary education, but can I tell you something that you do have? That every one of us sitting in the room today does have, and there's no hesitation and no doubt about it. You have a story, a story that the world needs to hear. I want to tell you something, a story that people in this world around you are desperate to hear. And if you are a follower of Jesus, it is a story of hope. Now, here's the thing. You may not feel hopeful as you sit here today. We all have circumstances and moments and times in our lives where we just don't feel very hopeful. And so you have permission to be struggling with hope today. I want to give you that. But it is a story of hope. It is a story of how Jesus has and he continues every day to rescue you. That's the story that you're living in. See, people can argue with our theology. They can't argue with our stories. I love the way my buddy 
Morgan over at Wild at Heart, Ransomed Heart, describes this. Listen to what he says. He says, our wounds are meant to be healed so that the scars can become the stories of heroism that strengthen the soul and save the world. Listen to this right here. The only one who underestimates your life is you. I see your glory. We struggle to see our own glory. We really do. The only one who underestimates your life is you. He says, our willing alignment with kingdom authority gives Jesus access and permission to break the limits we have placed on who he can be, what he can do, and how he can do it in our lives. We have to stop placing limits on who Jesus can be, what he can do, and how he can do it in and through our lives. And here's the thing. This principle is not just for you and me individually. It's it's true of us as tribes of kingdom people too. And here's what I want to say to you, Pulpit Rock Church. Thank you for the way you've modeled that for us in this city. You know, up the road at Discovery, we're getting ready to take a bold, a bold, bold move. And in, in our backstory is I've been here for 14 plus years now, and, and we've always struggled financially as a church. And, and, and between COVID and then my bright idea to do a series on God's heart for all people called One Blood during COVID, uh, God's heart for the equal worth, value, and dignity of all people, all right, our giving tank financially, we're still trying to recover from that. When you look at our church, it's a little, it's a little surprising because we got a nice building, we got a pretty good sized tribe of people, and we got an amazing spirit in that place. But if you look behind the curtain, guess what you see? You see some God, duct tape, and dreams. That is what the church has been built on. So, so our missions giving is as strong as it's ever been, but we don't have much cash. And so rather than licking our wounds and whining about that, what we've tried to do is say, you know what? What do we have here? And what we've come to understand is our greatest asset, our most underutilized asset as a church is our building. It's our building. And, we, and we've also come to realize that our city's telling us there's a, there's a really pretty desperate need for more quality preschool, more quality daycare space in our city, that our city is struggling to have enough event space for the growing population of our city. So here's where we're headed as a church. I, w- I want to go ahead and show you. This is our big, bold move. In the next month, we are rebranding our building, the COS City Hub. And we are going to be the church that meets at the hub. Yes, the church that owns the hub, but the church that meets at the hub. I want you to imagine a, full t- a full-time preschool presence, a full-time coffee shop in the lobby and meeting space there, access to all the conference rooms, co-op workspace, a concert and event venue. This is what we're dreaming up at, at DCC. In our church, we just, they just found out about this last week. And so, hey, if you meet any of our people, please be encouraging about this, okay? So, so you get that, right? And you, this church, specifically Pando, I wanna, I wanna give you credit where credit is due. You have been a big part of the inspiration for this. And guess what? You, through Pando, you've invested in it financially too, which really encouraged our hearts. So once again, Pulpit Rock, thank you for the way you're leading the kingdom in our city. It is inspiring. It is unique. And I want you to know you are making a huge difference. Please keep it up. All right, let's go back and finish up the story. So we're gonna hear from the one talent guy now. He comes back, gives the talent back to the master. He doesn't lose it. He doesn't steal it. He doesn't take it. He doesn't gamble it. He preserves it and returns it. And the master calls him what? Wicked and lazy and then finishes with this. This is verse 28. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever's been given more, they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
Whoo, okay, hold on just a second, right? Let's not go where church people go. I wanna be clear here. This is not about this servant getting thrown. Go straight to hell. He doesn't get his go to hell card here. He doesn't lose out on his salvation here. You can disagree, argue with Jonathan about it. Okay, so, so but, but this is not about what he gets. It's about what he misses out on. What does he miss out on here? He misses out on what the other two received, the invitation into a much greater, much more amazing, much more beautiful story and all the joy that comes with that. See, the kingdom doesn't lose here. The kingdom advances. The kingdom moves forward. Who loses out here? He does. And so it's pretty obvious to us. Which servants do we want to be in this story? So what's our takeaway going to be from the experience of these three people here today? How about this? Are you ready? There is no limit to what Jesus can do through me. There is no limit to what Jesus can do through me. Now, as church people, here's the deal. We agree with most of that statement. I could get some amens, 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 and then I get to those last two words. There's no limit to what Jesus can do, and everyone in the church says, amen, right? I mean, it's like, preach it, brother. It's the last two words of that that was where we get hung up. And I want to ask you today, do you really believe that? Do you? That's good. Three years ago. I was having coffee with Daniel Roth. Daniel's a pastor, lead pastor at Mountain Springs Church. Good, good church, good dude. We're talking and he, <laughs> he looks at me and he goes, Greg, you are so unconventional. And I didn't know how to take that. I was kind of like, mm, I don't know if I like that or not. And so I took it home and I wrote it down in my journal. I said, God, I just want to walk in that with you. So I started walking with God in this. And what I came to realize was that all these things in my life, right, um, Officer Candidate School, United States Marine Corps, 1985. Law school, practicing law for 10 years. In the courtroom, Kentucky and Indiana, and all these moments as a dad, good, bad, and otherwise. All these moments as a husband, good, bad, and otherwise. And, and, and you know, being a pastor, all, all this stuff, how, how God has taken all these things in my life, some of these things so unconventional, not the ordinary path, and he's woven them all together, and he's shaped me. He's used it to shape me for, for what he's calling me to do. And as I started to look at that, I realized, you know, I haven't been created or called or crafted to lead a nice, clean church. I haven't. With all due respect to nice, clean churches, that's, that's not me, right? I, I haven't been called, crafted, or created to lead, right, a nice, clean hospital with all, you know, with all these resources and, and, and a whole bunch of admission requirements. If you want to hang out with us, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this, you can't do this, you can't do this can't do this. That's not what I've been called, crafted, and created to lead. What I've been called, crafted, and created to lead is a mass unit. It's kind of bloody and messy. It is full of medics who aren't perfect people by any means, but are willing to admit that and are willing to run towards the mess to help people stop the bleeding and get people to the help they need. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. It's an army but it's not regular army. We don't have cool uniforms, right? We're, we're swamp fighters. We're street fighters. We're militia. A few years ago, Pastor Haley's on our staff up at DCC. She said to me, she said, Greg, you are called to be a shepherd of misfit Mustangs, right? A leader of those called to run. And boom, my heart jumped out of my chest. I embraced that. So right up the road, you drive by the sign might right now say Discovery Church. It's really the Misfit Mustang Militia, okay? So do you, when you go up there, just think, oh, that's where the Misfit Mustangs hang out because that's us. Here's the thing. Listen, my story is terrible. It's brutal. It's ugly. And I wouldn't recommend it. 
See, the path that I've traveled in my life crushed and devastated the people in this world that I love the most. But as ugly and as brutal and as devastating as my story is, guess what? Here's what I want you to hear today. It still doesn't disqualify me. It still doesn't limit what Jesus can do through me. You see, I have a unique kingdom contribution to make. And what I want you to hear from me today before I leave is this. So do you. No hesitancy, no doubt about it, regardless of how your story reads, even the most recent chapter as you sit here today, so do you. Do you believe that? Sometimes we struggle that we can really make a difference. And what I want to say to you today before I leave is this. Would you please push back on that spirit today? Push back on, on the spirit that says to you, you can't make a, a, a difference and, and embrace the power that is available to you. The kingdom needs you. The kingdom not only needs us, the kingdom needs you. Do you believe that? This kingdom that Jesus brought to this earth, it needs you. Religion says, you know, you know what? It's not for people like you. It's for the professionals, the religious professionals, the religious elite, the scholars and the theologians, the seminary trained. It's for a very, very select few, and it's not for people like you. I hate religion, don't you? And so that's what religion says. But I want us to leave here today with what Jesus says. So we're in Matthew now, chapter 11, verse 12. One more verse. From the moment John stepped onto the scene until now, the realm of kingdom, king, heaven's kingdom is bursting forth and passionate people have taken a hold of its power. Not passionate pastors. Passionate people are taking hold of the kingdom power that's available to them. So what if, as you sit here today, what if your story doesn't, disqualify you? What if it actually uniquely qualifies you to bring the kingdom difference, the unique kingdom contribution that only you can bring? Today, right now, regardless of how my story reads, I'm going to bring the unique kingdom contribution that I can only bring. There is no limit to what Jesus can do through me. I hope you embrace that. I want you to grab a hold of the power Passionately grab a hold of the power that's available to you and watch what God begins to do in you and through you with that. I want you to know this. It is an honor to be in the foxhole fighting for the kingdom in this city beside a tribe like you. Thanks for letting me be with you today. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we ask you to come. We need you. The city is yours, the kingdom is yours, our church, this thing we do called church, it's yours. I thank you for the people that are a part of this tribe today, whether they're sitting in this room or they're out today or they're watching online right now. I thank you for the leadership in this church that's been so committed to not building a church, Jesus, but building your kingdom and the way they've modeled that in our city. But Jesus, I ask you to come individually for each one of our hearts today. And come into the hopelessness. Come into the lack of joy. Come into the doubts, the disqualification, the diminishment that we feel. Come against that spirit of comparison that has us look at the glory of people around us and says, you don't have much to offer. We bring the blood of Christ and the cross of Christ against that. Jesus, we just, we make ourselves available today. 
We make ourselves available for you to come and do in our lives and stories what it is only you can do in us and through us. Come, Jesus. Pray that every heart will leave here with more hope than they walked in here with today. In your name we pray. Amen.